Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And it's such a gift to have you with us today on the last Sunday before Christmas. Today, Christmas week is starting today. And to start off the Christmas week, guys, we have a gift for you. Let us begin the gift giving season today. On your way out today, not only do we have a, a million incredible cookies out there. Thank everybody brought cookies today. Y'all got to eat cookies until your eyes are spinning. Let your vision get blurred a little bit by the amount of sugar you intake today. Give all the children all the cookies they want. Just say yes when your kids are asking you, can I have a cookie? Say yes until they can no longer contain the amount of cookies in their tummy. Because we got to eat all those cookies by the time y'all leave today. So, And then across from the cookies, you'll see a, a big pegboard with ornaments hanging on it. And those are handmade ornaments from our creative team that is our gift to you this Sunday. So make sure you grab one of those on your way out. I want to say that I'll remind you again before we leave, but 99% chance I'll forget. And so this, it's up to you to remember to grab one of these ornaments today. Well, we have our Christmas Eve service this Friday. Friday is Christmas Eve. Are y'all ready for it? Is everybody prepared? I still have like three gifts left to get. Uh, I don't know if Amazon's going to deliver them on time, so I might have to go find a store, you know, which I don't even remember where they are. I'm going to have to figure it out. I've just been enjoying Santa Claus dropping stuff off for me constantly on my porch for the last month. It's been amazing, but now my closet can no longer hold the cardboard boxes. So I'm going to have to go to a store this week. Uh, Christmas Eve service is Friday at 5 p.m. Friday at 5 p.m. If you've never been to a Christmas Eve service at the gathering, it really is a beautiful tradition, a beautiful service that we get to share together. I would really encourage you to come and bring somebody. Uh, it is a family service, so there's no G kids that night. We have a little activity packet for your kids as they're coming in, and uh, we just worship. It's not that going to be a super long service. We'll come in and we'll worship together. We'll have a short message, and we'll do a candle lighting. Uh, who doesn't love a candlelight service? Come on, somebody. Just, just, so, just so special. The candle's going. We'll try not to burn down this high school, and it's going to be... It's going to be really a great service, and so our team has worked really hard on it, and uh, that's Friday at 5 p.m. We hope to have you join us for that. Well, today we're wrapping up our series called A Christmas Story with our final telling of the Christmas story from the Gospels. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've studied Matthew's telling of the Christmas story, and through that we saw Jesus depicted as the King of Kings and the rightful King of the Jews and the King over our hearts and the King over our lives. Last week we talked about Luke's Gospel and Jesus as the Prince of Peace, who came to bring peace to all of us, no matter who we are or what we've done. And this week, we're going to look at the most unique of the tellings of Jesus' origin story, of his Christmas story from John's Gospel. John's Gospel is one of my favorite Christmas stories because I think it gives the clearest picture of what this season really means for us. Now, maybe you don't think of John's Gospel as having a Christmas story in it, but I would argue that John's opening chapter is a beautiful complement to the Christmas stories in Matthew and Luke in the same way that his Gospel is as a whole. John's Gospel is very different from the other three. The first 
three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic because they all tell the story in a similar way with different versions of the same events. They all agree. They're called synoptic because they agree with one another. Uh, Most likely, Mark's gospel came first. That's why it's the shortest. It was the first written gospel just a few years after Jesus ascended into heaven. Mark, John Mark, uh, I like him already, uh, a companion of Peter in Jerusalem, saw a need for a written telling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he took Peter's recollection of events as well as others who were living in Jerusalem at the time and, and put down a basic explanation on paper and it began circulating all over the world immediately. This is just a few years uh, past the time Jesus did his ministry. Next came Matthew's gospel. Matthew was there for all of what happened, and, and he was a meticulous note taker, and he wanted all the events and the fulfilled prophecies that happened in Jesus's ministry to be visible, to be made clear. And so he put out a gospel nearly twice as long with all kinds of details and expansions on the stories that Mark shared with us. And then finally, a a couple decades later, came Luke's gospel. Uh, Nope, I'm skipping ahead. Then came Luke. Luke wrote his gospel for all the new believers who came from the Greek and the Roman world. Luke was a Greek physician. He was what they called a Gentile. A Gentile is somebody who wasn't born Jewish. And there were a lot of Christians coming uh, to faith who were not Jewish. For the very first time, God opened up the doors of faith to the whole world. And I'm so glad that he did. And, and Luke wanted a, a way for us to understand the story in a context that made sense. And so he wrote his telling to the Gentiles. And 20 years after Luke wrote his gospel... In the year 85 A.D., decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, John wrote his gospel. I believe that John wrote his gospel and wrote it the way that he did because by the time, uh, by, by the time that he wrote it, there were few still living who knew not just what Jesus did, but what it felt like to be with him. If you read John's gospel, it's very personal. It's emotional. It tells different stories from different places and different times than the other gospels do. It paints a different picture of the person of Jesus. The stories that John included don't only show the deity of Jesus Christ, but also his humanity and his personality and his nature. It was as if John said, now that you know what Jesus did and what he did for you, let me help you understand what it was like to really be there. Let's read his Christmas story this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Yes, Lord. There has been a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him All might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Let's take a minute to talk about the word that became flesh on that silent and holy night for a moment this morning. John had a clear goal in mind for what he wanted you to understand about Jesus from the Christmas story, the way that he shared it. Let's break it down for a minute this morning. First, I believe John's gospel and and his Christmas story specifically wanted you to understand that Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord of Lords. The same John who wrote this gospel wrote the book of Revelation. If you've never read Revelation, it is a wild ride, and I can't recommend it more. It was John who saw Jesus in his most heavy metal state. Look with me again at John chap- at Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. This is Jesus. It says, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of of God. Revelation came about 10 years later, and at this time, John's gospel has been circulating, and people have been referring to Jesus as the Word. John says, I saw Jesus. He's dripping with blood, and his name is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to remind you that Jesus has a thigh tattoo this morning, and his thigh tattoo says his name upon it, Lord of Lords. John knew it. He knew who Jesus was. He he had seen him with his own eyes, and, and before he had even seen him in that resurrected state with Lord of Lords, just a sweet Lord of Lords tattoo right there on the thigh. He had seen him in the flesh and in person. And as he sat with him and as he spoke with him and as he ate breakfasts with him and lunches and dinners and as he sat with him in gardens and in moments of prayer as they walked on roads together, there was no doubt in John's mind that he was in the presence of the Lord of Lords. The Lord of Lords John had this revelation experience 10 years later, but he already knew who he worshipped. And the phrase Lord of Lords is important. It means God above all other things. God above all other things. There was some confusion already by John's time, similarly to the way that there is right now, about who exactly Jesus was and is, where he fits into the story. Some called him a prophet back then. 
like others believe now. Some called him an angel or a messenger from heaven back then, like others believe today. Some called him the Son of God in the way that the Greeks understood that term, like a a demigod or some lesser version of God or associated with God, like some still believe today. John wanted to make it clear that Jesus was no lesser God, he was no angel, he was no prophet. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John opens up with an allusion to the first words spoken in Genesis. He wants you to understand that in creation, Jesus was there. He's not like God or associated with God. He is God. And he is the Son of God. The nature of the Trinity can be a little bit confusing. We talk about the Holy Trinity in church. There's a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. And it's that can be a little bit because we say there's one God, but there's three different versions of that one God. There's one God, but three different manifestations of that one God. And so even though Jesus is the Son of God, he is also God. Even though the Holy Spirit is a spirit that dwells within us, it is also God. They are all one, sort of how Water can be liquid, or it can be a gas, or it can be a solid, and it is always the same exact thing, but in a different form. Our God has three different states, and Jesus is God, but he's also the Son of God. He is sovereign, and he is everlasting. He is Alpha, and he is Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. John uses a Greek word to describe him over and over and over again. When it says the word, he was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The word that he uses is logos in the Greek. Logos. Logos uh, is the, the best translation for that to English is word. Logos means word. But the Greek language is a lot more complicated than the English language. Listen, I graduated in seminary with a 72 in Greek, okay? I barely made it. I barely, 70 was the cutoff. I'm, but I did make it. But it's not my fault. They have a lot of words. They wanted us to remember as many of them as possible. I wasn't going to do that. I just did my best, okay? Here's what I know. I know that love has seven different words in Greek. That's too many. It describes all the different aspects of love, all the ways that love expresses itself. Isn't that it's a beautiful idea? It's very hard to remember. Uh, there are five different Greek words for the word word. That's too many words for word. Logos is the least used of all the words for word. And logos is the Greek word for trying to explain the cosmos. It was an idiom. Uh, It goes back to the 6th century B.C. The 6th century B.C. There was a philosopher named Heraclitus of Ephesus. And he used the word logos to describe what he called the divine reason. The divine reason. Philosophy was a big deal in Greece in this time. In fact, the 6th century is really when Greek philosophy was starting to see its renaissance, its heyday. Uh, It it was in that same century where Socrates was born. And and then came, uh, he, he put his Greek 
philosophy and thought process out into the world. We still study them. You probably don't remember anything that he believed, but you might know the name from high school. We talk about Socrates and, and Plato and Aristotle and this, this great school of Greek thought. They were influencing the big questions that all of the world was asking. And one of those questions that the world was asking in the 6th century B.C. and that it's asking still today is why? Why? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why, why, what is the meaning of all of this? What is the purpose of all of this? Why, why, do I, why do I go through such pain? Why do I go through such joy? Why is there so much good in this life? Why is there so much difficult? It was a philosopher's idea. It was their job to sit around and come up with ideas that connected with people to the questions that everyone was inwardly asking. So, this philosopher, Heraclitus, he came up with a word for the answer to why. And he called it the divine reason, the intangible thing that you can't fully explain. When, when man's explanation stops and the, the thought keeps going, we call that the divine reason, the why. The why beyond it all. He didn't have an answer for it. He just gave it a name. And the name was Logos. Word. The divine reason. Logos. A reason for why. And the explanation of Logos became such a popular idiom by John's time several hundred years later that whenever something would happen, people would just, they'd be like, that's Logos, it's just happening, it's the divine reason, you know, I don't know why this blessing came my way, it's the divine reason, it's Logos, it's just the word, it's the word happening again. And that was a popular idiom all throughout time, and John was actually a pastor in this time of his life in Ephesus, a city in Greece where the philosophy of Logos originated. So John would have heard it over and over and over again. It would have been very popular. People would have talked about it, would have used it to explain the world around them over and over around him. He would have been helping the people in his congregation on a regular basis understand what the divine reason truly was. Let me tell you about the word. I know the word. I've seen the word. I've met the word. He preached it on Sundays. He, he had a, 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 a meetings over coffee and at Mexican restaurants where he would explain to people what Logos really was. Let me tell you about the word and the reason. And as he's opening his gospel, his version, when he's saying, I need people not just to know who Jesus was, but what it was like to be with him. He says, first thing that I want to do is tell the Christmas story through the understanding of Logos. Let me help them understand that Jesus is the divine reason. You see, the Greeks loved Jesus. They loved his teachings, his message of loving others and forgiveness. It fit in with their modern philosophies. They were willing to include him as one of their gods. If you remember Greek mythology, who doesn't love Hercules? Hercules, Hercules, right? What a great Disney movie about patricide. And, and so 
they they had all they were used to having lots of gods and they were happy to include Jesus as a part of that but John opens his christmas story by making it clear that Jesus is no lesser god he is no philosopher he is not a good teacher he is not something to simply add to your life to sprinkle in because you like what he had to say no that is not who he is he is the lord of lords he is the divine reason he is the word that spoke the universe into existence. Even as a baby lying in a manger within him is the very same power that can cause all things to come into being. John's gospel draws a line in its Christmas story. Jesus is not something that you add to your life or that is convenient to your belief system. Jesus is everything. Without him, nothing has been, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing exists without him. Christmas isn't just a nice time of year where we give gifts and acknowledge a baby in a manger. It's when we worship the Lord of Lords because of the moment all of eternity and all the power of creation was met in a single place at a single time for each and every one of us. One of the most powerful verses in all the Bible and the reason for Christmas. I think the most Christmassy verse there is is John 1.14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The divine reason why. You've been asking why all of your life. You've been wondering. You've been questioning. You've been screaming it at the heavens. But the reason, the divine reason, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I get chills thinking about it. He's the Lord of Lords. He came here. The divine reason was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that, is that Charlie Brown, is what Christmas is all about. And that's not all. John tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. The light of the world. Matthew's gospel talks about a star that was so bright, it drew people from across the world to come and see exactly what it was illuminating. The story begins with a bright light in a small village. John says in 1-4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Ooh, that's a good one. I love a candlelight service. I'm going to tell you right now, listen, I won't say who it was, but we had a very practical member of our staff saying, we can't do candles. We'll set everything on fire. It's not safe. We have kids in there. The kids will set themselves on fire. They'll set the people next to them on fire. There's so much hairspray at a Christmas Eve service. It's a real danger to everyone. You said that. And I said, Mikey, we have to have a candlelight service. We have to. Because in him was the light of all mankind, Mikey. And the darkness can't overcome it, Mikey. we got to have a candlelight service. I think candlelight services, it was anonymous. They don't know. I think candlelight services are amazing, and I can't wait to do ours in a few days. And I love it because I just love the power on Christmas Eve of seeing light come up in the darkness, don't you? 
Mm. Is there anything that more clearly explains what Jesus does when he enters into your life than the image of light in a dark space? He says in John chapter 12, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. So when John says that in him is life, he means that when we follow his way and live in his truth, we get a new kind of life that is in such great contrast to what we considered life before that it is like a light shining in darkness. Isn't it amazing what a little bit of light will do in darkness? It extinguishes it. Did you know that darkness has no power over light? There is no amount of darkness that can overcome light. There is no absolute darkness that can snuff out light. The darker the night, the brighter the light appears. It has no power over it. We're all looking for ways to put the darkness out in our lives. There's been enough darkness in the last couple years. It's been the darkness of sin, the darkness of fear, the darkness of trying to find peace and fulfillment on our own accord, the darkness of the longing that we try to fill, the darkness of unrest deep down inside of our souls. I I like to imagine being down at the bottom of a deep, dark cave and to overcome and get out uh, of that cave, you try a few different things. Maybe you follow a rope for a time to get forward, and it may work for a while, but eventually the rope runs out, or you hit an obstacle that you just can't see around. You're getting banged up and bruised, running into the walls, or maybe you just try to crawl on all fours, making it forward all on your own with no help from anybody else. But as you do, you're just getting all beat up by all the things that you couldn't see, and suddenly your path ends, and you can't see a way forward. Now just imagine if in that cave just ahead of you there was a light that came on. And you can choose to live in that light and to freely move forward, to see every obstacle in your way, to move around it with the blessing of that light. Or you could choose to put that light out and keep doing it all on your own. It'd be crazy to do such a thing. But that's the choice we face with Jesus. In him is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. Jesus is light. And finally, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a name that we call Jesus at Christmas, and it comes from the prophet Isaiah, and it's repeated by the angel again in Matthew. And it's a name for Jesus that literally just means God with us. God with us. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world and he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. But he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God literally came and was with us for a time. And for those of us who receive him, it's not just Emmanuel, God with us at Christmas and in the Christmas season. He is with us all of the time. God stays with us. He adopts us into his family as his children. Jesus wrote these words in John. John wrote these words of Jesus in John chapter 14. 
He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Bless that guy's heart. Did you know there was another Judas in the disciples? That had to be tough in the years after, hey, I'm Judas, one of the disciples of Jesus. Oh, no, not Iscariot. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? John, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He is with you right now. When you trust in him, follow him, make your life about him, it says that you don't have to do it alone. You now have the God of the universe, the divine reason, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke everything into being will make his home with you. That is the good news of Christmas time. That's what Christmas is all about. He came, he became one of us, he brought light and life with him. And for those of us who believe in him and who follow him, his presence remains forever. Emmanuel, God with us, now and forever. That is the greatest Christmas story. I love John's Christmas story and all the things that it reminds us about what Jesus did when he came to this place at Christmas. So, how do we respond to John's Christmas story? It's a couple different ways. First, worship him only. There are a lot of competing idols in your life. There are a lot of things in your life that want to be Lord of Lords to you. There are a lot of things that are willing to share with Jesus as long as you keep them on the same pedestal. You have so much competition for your time, for your attention. There's so many ideologies and passions and distractions and people and places and things that want your attention and your time and even your worship. But this Christmas, I want you to remember that Jesus is the Word. He is the divine reason. He is the only one who is worthy of your worship. Lay down your idols and worship Him alone. Psalm 115 verses 4 and 8 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. They have noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. They have feet, but do not walk. They do not even make a sound in their throats. And those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. We have so many idols. Maybe your idol this season, I mean, it's not the Christmas season if we don't talk about commercialism for a moment, right? Maybe your idol this season is all the spectacle and the gifts and the material and, and the, you put all your time and your energy into all the Christmas traditions and all the gifts and you work overtime and you do all the things. You go into debt so that you can bless somebody and you do all these things so that somebody can have the perfect Christmas so that you can have the perfect Christmas and all the while you're forgetting to worship the one and only who calls this season his time. Maybe for you, the idol that you serve is power or position, possessions. Maybe you've had a hard time bringing Jesus up to the top. 
Maybe you've collected Jesus in your relationship with him alongside a lot of other good ideologies, good things, things that are helping you that you think when you take them as a whole, it'll probably all be fine. Maybe Jesus has been added to your life. He's a part of your life, but he doesn't want to be added to your life. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to be in line with every other ideology that you've come across. He wants to be over it all. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one over all other things. Worship him alone. Make a declaration this Christmas that he is the Lord of lords, that he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, that he has authority and power over every other thing in your life, and there is nothing that is further or greater deserving of your worship than Jesus' name. Make him first, first in your life, first in your heart, and worship him alone. When we come back on Sunday, January 2nd, so we have Christmas Eve service this Friday. Don't forget, at 5 p.m., can't wait for us all to be together. It's going to be awesome. And then there's no service that following Sunday. The Sunday after is January 2nd. We're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you're new to our church, it's a crucial part of our rhythm. I think it's one of the most important things we do all year. See, we really just believe in the principle of the first at the gathering church. We want God to be first in our lives. We believe he is the alpha and that he is the Lord of lords and nothing is further greater deserving of our worship than him. And the way that we prove that, that we show that, and that we remind ourselves of that is by living in a biblical principle that we're taught all throughout the Bible called the principle of the first. And it means that God gets the first of everything. He gets the first of our finances. He gets the first of our time. We give him the first part of our week on Sunday morning. I give him the first part of my day every morning as I come before him to worship and pray, and we give him the first part of our year. And so if you've been feeling like there are so many other things in competition for Jesus in your life, and and maybe he hasn't been Lord of Lords to you, he's been Lord with Lords to you, maybe a good way for you to set him apart and set him above is to really commit and devote yourself to 21 days of prayer and fasting this upcoming year. Give him the first part of your year. It's very simple the way that we do it. First, we call you to a fast, and there's a couple different ways to fast. There's a total fast where you would just have nothing but water for 21 days. If you're going to do that, I'd love to know about it. I'd love to pray with you and support you and really just marvel at your self-control throughout that. There's another fast where it's a partial fast, where we we give up a portion of food, whether it's you don't eat any meat, or if you're a vegetarian, you don't eat any vegetables. You only eat meat for 21 days. It's just got to be something that's hard for you. I'm sorry. Fair is fair. Fair is fair. It's an opposite Daniel fast. Okay? And I'd love to help you with it. I got a smoker. I'm going to bless you. Um, you can give up a, a certain whether it's sugar. Something that's, the idea is that it's something that's hard for you to say no to. Giving up something that's hard for you to say no to. And then there's a, a Jewish fast, which is where you would fast from sunup to sundown. Hey, in January, that really works for you. Okay? It's like six hours of daylight. All right, you can do it. Uh, and, and then there's a soul fast where you would give up social media or television or uh, something else that, that's hard. The idea is to say no to something physical so you can say yes to the spiritual. And if something will happen inside, I promise you, if you devote yourself to a fast, a work will happen inside of your heart and in your soul in that three weeks. And then we pray together. We pray every morning. We do a prayer prompt, and we do prayer services on Saturday. I really 
I really recommend you get your heart into that right place by devoting yourself to that in just a couple weeks here. Second thing that we do is we be the light. We respond to the message of John by being that light to others. It says in Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. We are living in a season of darkness, but within us we carry a light that cannot be put out by darkness. There is no darkness that can overcome the light that is in you. And so I encourage you, church, find yourself in dark spaces. Don't only go places that are easy and are comfortable for you, but find yourself around the darkness so that you can be the light. Be the light. If you have received Jesus as your light, share him with all that you can. Live by that light. Move forward by that light, by his will and his teaching and his power and not your own or anything else. Live in the lights and tell the world about him. Tell the whole world. Everyone must know. We're going to respond in just a moment. And I want to encourage you to really respond today. This is your last opportunity this year to worship Him in this way. But I love how right after this Christmas story appears in John's Gospel, John leads right into the story of a man named John. Another guy named John, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. John was a wild man, had a crazy beard. He was probably one of those guys that can't grow a beard but does anyways. He ate bugs, he wore burlap sacks, he was a weirdo. But he lived in the world and he lived in the wilderness baptizing people in Jesus name because he had seen the light. He had seen it. He had received it. He knew who Jesus was, he knew why he was coming and he had to tell as many people as he could about him. And I love John 1.29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Tell everybody that you can. Tell as many people as you get the opportunity to. It doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter how they receive you. If you have a relationship with someone and you haven't shared with them what Jesus has done for your life, you have light that you are hiding. Share the light. Tell his story. Tell what he's done in your life and as many people as you can. As the old song goes, go and tell it on the mountain. Did you know that people are 80% more likely to say yes to coming to church on Christmas Eve and Easter? We call them creasters. And they're coming. They're, they're going to go somewhere. Get them here. Bring them with you. That they might understand and experience the gospel in a fresh new way. That they might see what it has done in your life. See the community that you are a part of. That you are living alongside of. That they might have their hearts changed as well. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Do as John did. And so here is the Lamb of God. The Word has become flesh to dwell among us, and in Him is light, and that light is the life of all mankind. Today, we're going to worship Jesus as the Lord of Lords. And we're going to come before Him in all the humility that requires. We're going to come him before Him with the reverence that that requires, and we are going to respond to Him 
because what he has done for us requires us to respond. We've been doing this all throughout this series, and honestly, for me, it's just been a really special moment for our church. I have loved being able to to worship alongside of you in these moments and to respond with you in these moments. And so there's a couple things that you're going to be able to do once I pray, and, and then I'll pray again. Two prayers every time. Creature of habit. After that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to worship, and we're going to have that's a really special song for you and time of worship. And so there's three different things you can do. First, you can worship your brains out. Be great. I mean, put your hands up in the air to submit to him. Get down on your knees in reverence to the king today. You can move around. You can sing it as off key and loud as you want and worship him today. You can come forward and fall on your knees at the cross. This can be our altar today and and worship him here. There's going to be folks forward where you can come and pray and you can receive prayer this morning. Maybe you need prayer for you as you go into this season this morning or maybe as you approach the Christmas holiday, you're thinking about people who are, are or having a difficult Christmas, or who you're burdened for, or who you are hoping understand and, and, and know Jesus this season, and you can come pray for them, and somebody will be ready to pray with you today. You can come forward and receive communion today as a means of worshiping the one and only God, or you can come to this cross right here and declare Jesus as Lord of Lords, or any other idols that you've been worshiping, and write them down on pen and paper and nail them to that cross in response. A lot of different ways to, we really want you to respond respond today in reverence to the Lord of Lords. If you're here today and you've never encountered the Lord of Lords, you are desperate for that light. You've been searching for that divine reason all your life, and today you're ready to enter into that relationship, then I would love for you to say this prayer with me, because all you have to do is accept the gift that he's already given. Christmas is all about the gift that Jesus gave to us. He came and offered his life as the perfect lamb of God who came to take away the sin of all mankind. There's nothing you could have done that he can't forgive you for. There's no place you could have been that he won't come find you. There is nobody that you think you are that he does not love unconditionally. And you can enter into a relationship with him today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. I worship you. I believe in you. You are the Lord of lords, and I give my life to you today. All that I am from this moment forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.